In June 2011, Thomas Kale sat in conversation with Joe Montello backstage at the Golden Theater. From Montello's dressing room, their conversation traces his arc from actor to director and back, and the responsibility of taking risks to continue to evolve throughout a career. This is Hal Prince, and you are listening to In Conversation With. This Masters of the Stage program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and is presented by SDCF and the American Theatre Wing. Hello, this is Tommy Kale. I am backstage at the Golden Theatre with Joe Mantello. Glamorous dressing room. Glamorous dressing room, um, which makes me think of one thing that uh, you have... You are now acting in this fine play, um, kicking ass. Um, one of the things when a, when a show opens and it runs that I realize is there's nowhere for a director to go when you come back. And so I sort of end up standing in the stage manager's office looking around me like, does anyone need anything? Because I'm <laughs> actually, can I use this bathroom? Because there's nowhere to go. Yes. You and don't you always feel like, a, don't you feel like a, a, a stranger if there's like this, this, this threshold before opening night and after opening night and when you cross that threshold the director has no purpose in the backstage area and I always feel like a stranger because this life has been going on with the actors right. and there's just in it and you've been removed from the from the ritual of it and it, it's an always an odd feeling so then you have to call them in for notes and be really mean or something <laughs> I, I, I sort of equated that you know you, you build this house and you have the keys and you like design some of the rooms but you didn't design a room for yourself. So you're like, I still have the keys. <laughs> yes. And you like walk in the door, you're like, they have not changed the lock, but should I wait in the foyer? Yeah, you know, yeah the, that's exactly what it feels like. And it's, I find myself knocking on doors and being like, how's it going in here? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that, that is honestly what I respect most about what you're doing right now is that you have this dressing room. And who cares about what you're doing out there on stage? <laughs> Look at you, you have a place to go. It's very I have to say that, you know, the one one of the things that I really forgot about was the camaraderie of actors that develops um, while we're out front with the designers and not getting any breaks. They're forming this whole little life and world back here and to have to have re experienced and have a readmittance to that world while George Wolf was out Kind of, you right. know, you had no God Mike. I had no yeah. God Mike. I got to leave. I waved goodnight to him, knowing that he would be here for another two hours. It was heaven. Right. It was great, and that he was going to come in early before we got here, just to look at cues. We're going to do <laughs> yeah. some stuff in the morning, yeah. and then come in and look for ten minutes yeah. of the stuff that we did. Yeah. Looks great. It just wouldn't yeah. change. Um, so we, have, you know, obviously this has been, uh, you know, sort of as you said, this reacquaintance, this reintroduction to this this part of you. And can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how this happened and how you got here? And then I'd love to kind of, I'm curious then as you continue, you know, you have another show coming up, you're doing this, you're doing that, yeah. who this this version that's kind of gone through this, uh, this car wash is when he comes out? Well, um, you know, I happily left acting behind 17 or 18 years ago after um, Angels in America. Never heard of it. <laughs> no. Closed in a week. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, but that I, I I had one regret, you know, which was that I never got to play this part, and so it just it just happened that uh, I ran into Joel Gray a little over a year ago, who said that he was putting together this reading in L.A. and I shared with him that that was the one part I always wanted to play, and through a whole series of events, mm. here we are. Um, I don't know. It's I think it was it, I, it, the whole thing has been unexpectedly fantastic in a way that I wasn't 
that I hadn't kind of bargained for in that, I don't know if you feel this, but there's a thing that happens when you are sitting on the other side of the table in, and you're watching actors in that it's all crystal clear and you can't understand what is it, what is, what are the, what is the problem? Why can't you see how, how easy it is to navigate through it? So to kind of have to reposition myself and put myself in that role again and you think, oh, right, this is freaking hard. Yeah. And it's not so clear because you're using different, a different kind of muscle. And I think it was really the, the, the unexpected benefit of this was that it just to, 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 to remember exactly how difficult it is. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to have another experience directing again uh, or, or eager to see what that's going to be like. Because Maybe somebody I, will hire you. I, I hope so. We're hoping. Just call me if you need anything. <laughs> um, that, that's, it's fascinating you say that, you know, because I was, you obviously were someone who at a very high level was making a living as an actor and working as an actor and doing these things. Um, I, I acted in one show in high school called Three Hotels. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> But as I like to say, I only did the first hotel. Because it was a lot of memorization. It was. Um, interesting market, this little cool. You know? um, and I was playing, you know, this 15-year-old martini swilling. Imagine me. I look like I'm 10 now. So I was like a 4-year-old. It's like a tadpole holding a martini. And you've never seen anyone speak that quickly. I think I got the whole thing in under about 17 minutes. Wow, very. Um, and I thought, well, this is the last time I should do this because I, uh, I was, it was, it was a feeling that I will never forget what it meant to go in front of these people that I did not know and try to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not someone who grew up doing a lot of theater. I grew up playing sports, and I had an acting teacher in high school who said, "Hey, I'd like you to take this class." And I sort of said, "No, I don't want to do it." And he said, "Take the class." And I thought, oh, okay, I guess he wants me to do this. And my senior project culminated in one of the hotels. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and I knew that it was not for me. I knew that there was something about that that I, I had such a respect for it. And in walking around for those, you know, those few moments, I thought other people should do this. Maybe I can help create a room or shape something with them. Did you have a concept of, a, of what it meant to be, what, what a director was at that point? No, because the only director I knew was this guy who was directing me. And I thought, wow, he seems to answer all of my questions with questions. <laughs> that seems much better than having to have a point of view and making one. And, you know, and as a, as a, as a young director, um, I realized that early on it was very difficult for me to say I don't know because mm-hmm. everyone was looking at me. They're like, well, you have to know. Um, and it's sort of as, you, as one gets older or if you do things that, that people have seen and they say, okay, that they'll at least get the show to opening night, mm-hmm. then you can live in I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's very different for a performer. But don't you think that I think I, for some reason I was lucky enough to learn that. I mean, I think it was maybe it was because being an actor, I, I, was, I felt safer in the hands of a director who said, I don't know, because I, think, I thought that takes balls. Absolutely. That right. person is confident that we will arrive at an answer, we will craft something that's interesting, but in this moment they don't know, and that's okay. What, what I was much more suspicious of was when, when the, you know, the bullshit, uh, yeah. you know, and they'd already walked away on the first day. Yeah. And, they had, <laughs> and, and, and you'd, you'd ask a question and you could see fear in their eyes and they would just start talking and you thought like, Oh, we're, we're in deep shit. Here. You're absolutely, I mean, you, you hit something that I remember in saying when I was, um, when I was just doing my, my little stuff in this basement theater, uh, with my friends, it was fine. I could say, I don't know when, uh, stuff with height started to go and I realized I was in the room with professionals. It was a very different thing. But I remember thinking at the time, and I never said it out loud until this moment, um, which is that if Mike, if Mike Nichols says, I don't know, he's a genius. 
because he's able to, you know, say, look, I've done this work. You know that I'll help you get there. And I'm okay, too, to live in this place. But it took me a while to trust myself to say that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it was, but you're exactly right. It just took me a little while to get there. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a big, I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a way of making yourself as vulnerable as every, anyone else in the room and saying, I don't, I don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers, nor should we. But there are enough smart people here who know how to do their jobs that I can, you know, it was interesting re-encountering George Wolf again as a director because the last time I acted, he was the director. And, and it, another benefit of, of doing this was, was to, you know, sort of take a master class in directing with him again. And, and, you know, when I had my actor hat on and because we had 12 days of rehearsal for this. So, so, Inevitably, the question of are we going to be holding books as we were told we were going to hold books? Is that going to happen? And he he said, whatever we do is going to be deliberate. And we will craft an experience where whether we're holding books or we're not holding books, that will be, it will feel deliberate to the audience and we will own it. And there was something so nice about that, which you thought like, all right, well, I'm just going to go tomorrow and try to not hold a script. But I know that I can't. It was really, re- there was something reassuring, and, and, and that's what you want. You want somebody to say, I'm going to be there to catch you. Right. Go ahead, fly. I'm going to be there to catch you. Yeah, and, and you know, that also speaks to something that's, that I remember hearing about, um, you know, when someone was saying, oh, if you want to, you, you want to direct, right, let me tell you a couple of things. I didn't really have a big mentor. I didn't assist a lot. I assisted a couple of times, and then... No, you know, no one right back to me. So I started my little theater company. I was like, all right, I'll hire myself for one dollar, <laughs> lifetime contract. Um, which is, you know, you in that first minute of the show, those first couple minutes, you know, in a musical it's that opening number, but yeah. in, a, in a play it's something different. Let's set the rules. Let's create the world, and then we understand what's possible. And you know, if it's a comedy, you have to let them know they can laugh in that, you know, that that first beat, you know, those first couple moments. Yeah. Um, and, and the same thing you're talking about with, with obviously what what he crafted here. Yeah. Which is pretty evident. I would have thought it was 13 days of rehearsal. You guys <laughs> yeah, like, no. I would have never thought 12. <laughs> and where do you take the day off in the 12? He's like, all right, here, let's just go. And then you take the day. Um, and what was, I mean, so George directed Angels. And yes. then it was, and then you guys became colleagues in a different way as, as you did the other fellowship. Yeah, yeah. And so when, when he came to this project, you know, here he was looking at you. Not Lewis, this other guy. I mean, how how was that working working again in that way? Well, you know, when it became clear that that Joel, who who launched us with the reading, you know, back in the fall, when it became clear that his schedule was going to prevent him from really, you know, the, doing the day to day work on this, um, I with um, with Daryl Roth and I called George uh, uh, and just said, "Will you please, as a kind of a friend, come on and 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 help us with this?" And I think he was initially going to come on as kind of an advisor and you know as any good director the more time you spend with the material the more invested you get and all of a sudden there was a set and there were you know and this thing evolved from what was essentially going to be a, a, a staged reading um, to you know a production and I don't know that many people who could have pulled it off in the yeah. way that he did and he just marshaled the troops and teched it in two days and it was just you know it, it, he, he he he's that dynamic that he could he could make it happen and you know we had four 
maybe five previous before the critics came, and we were all like, "Great, let's go." I would like some of that in uh, in my water. I <laughs> no. well, it. it's whether whether he's whether he, you know, it's it seems real. He's he, but he instills a, a sort of a confidence in everybody, and he would do anything for him. What, what's so interesting about that is, I remember um, I was having a conversation with someone about um, an improvisational comedy group, and they were talking about you know living on the web and living online and how do you make it into a TV show and something interesting that I'd sort of just learned from watching and being around that a little bit is when it's in a box whether it's 8x8 or 10x10 or 2x2 no one cares if it's improv they just care if it's good yeah. and what you're talking about is the reality is most of the people that buy a ticket to see this show reading not a re- whatever that is they're coming to a Broadway theater and there's an expectation yeah. and the fact that beyond what people did or didn't know that they could sit in this you know, in this house and have this experience is also remarkable in its own way because yeah. they don't care that you had that many rehearsals. They don't yes. care about that. Yeah. They paid real money. They woke up this morning. They said, this is what I'm going to do. They gave you their time. Yeah. And you do, I mean, that's a, another kind of magic trick. Yeah. You know, I, really, I, I, mean, I don't know how he, I don't know how he did it, but I'm so grateful that he said yes, because I think the ending of this story would have been very different. It's one of these things too. I mean, there are these moments in time and there are shows that have an energy behind them. And you can't really control that. You've obviously, you know, you've been around the yeah. one on all sides. Yeah. And uh, there's there was something about walking to this theater. It felt like uh, we were a group that was coming to be transported uh-huh. and taken away. And we were. Right. And th- so there was a, we made a, you know, we, we uh, there was a promise that was delivered upon. Right. And when it happens in the theater, it's not, it's like, <laughs> it's unlike anything else. Do you feel, this is an interesting question, but do you feel like, and I don't. And I'm not trying to abdicate responsibility, but do you feel like the the outcome of a show is predetermined to a certain extent? Meaning that when the pieces are finally assembled and that group launches, is it? How much control do you think a director or anyone in that room has in terms of? Uh, you know, how how the world receives that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, one of the reasons I was kind of curious to to come and and sit down with other people that that do what I do and um, do it in ways I can't do it and at levels, uh, you know, that sometimes I have not reached is because we do something that is that is in many ways undefinable and sort of ineffable and and sometimes people say it, it has to be invisible. But, you know, you watch a concept musical, it ain't invisible at right, all. Yeah, yeah. It's about the concept. You know, the idea of anything happening. The fact that at a certain point, this group of people will come together and make something and it will have a beginning, middle, and an end, and you get through it in general, I think is a miracle. Yeah. So I think in that sense, there is something else that happens once the show begins that is so far beyond anything that has to do with me. My hope is that I created a, a, a place along the way where we could try some of those things out, the things that we didn't know, and it's not just like, we'll find it in tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... And then there's that that giving over that happens, uh, you know, that the first show, that tenth show, that fiftieth show, and each time it needs to feel, um, I think, more theirs and less mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. If, if I did something right, yeah, you know, it's like you're you're building the structure around. It's like I need to take the scaffolding down, right? Because this needs to happen. This it shouldn't have to do with me at a certain point. That, that's my you know, right. My so we were talking about Mike Nichols, you know, I, and I think this was attributed to him that you know his his feeling about rehearsals is the best idea wins. And I do believe in that. Mm-hmm. And I think I am confident enough to, to feel like if somebody has a great idea that never occurred to me, to say, yes, absolutely. That is not a, th- that is not a threat to me. In fact, I thrive off of actors, 
you know, designers, people who have brilliant. I expect it. Right. I, 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 I long for that kind of collaboration. I have a harder time with people who have no ideas where the process is so private that, that, that there's no access to it. Right. And that is, a, there's, there's, there's a, there's a wonderful kind of process that an actor can have that, that, where, where that occurs, but I just don't, I don't understand it in any way. Right. And you don't know how to get in. And, and also, it makes you not feel useful. I mean, for me, it's like, I want to have utility in the room. And sometimes the utility is saying, you know what? We're done for the day, and that's okay. And that's okay. So we yeah. didn't solve, you know what? You know what tomorrow is? Wednesday. we got to get in there again at 10, and we'll yeah. try that, you know? Yeah. Um, basically, everything that was good was said by Mike Nichols. It's also good. Because <laughs> the other thing, you know, which I think you have done very well historically, and, and will continue to do, is, as he said, you know, 90% of it's casting. Uh-huh. Right? So if you have the right people up there to tell the story... You're fine. If you don't, there is, you know, there's really only so much one can do. Yeah, I think that's what I was saying before. Is that if you make a if you make a choice that that is a fatal choice, then there isn't. It doesn't matter how many good people are in the room. Somehow there's just a, you know, and and, I, and I've certainly done it before. I've 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 made without knowing it, I've made fatal choices in terms of the design of the show that no matter what we did, it wasn't going to have impact because of whatever, X, Y, Z, some, you know, some, something that, that existed that, that determined the fate of the show. You know, I'm, I'm less interested in what those specific shows are, but I am interested in what forces those decisions. What do you think, what puts you in a position where you look back and say, because of X, I went this way. You know, I mean, is it is it time? Is it um, is it financial? Or just sometimes no, it just happens. I think it just happens. I think you know because if every talented person had a smash every time, uh, you know, they said, you know, there look around you every year, there are really really good people. I mean, the biggest example in New York right now. I mean, Julie Taymor isn't is a genius. She struggled with this for 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 unknown reasons. I wasn't in the room, but. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't diminish. Right. Julie Taymor is no less a genius today than she was when she created Lion King. It is. It's just sometimes really smart, talented people lose their way, or and I, you know, I believe that most of us have like three to five great things in us, and I think the rest of it is just. You know, somewhere along the line of, 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 of so, I, what I what I what, what I've been trying to concentrate on re- recently is what is the experience? What what are the memories that I'm going to carry with me? And that to me is far more important than whether the the play is well received or the project is well received. Although that is a is a you know great it's a consideration. It's a consideration. Yeah, it's but I'm much more like we were talking about nine to five. Nine to five remains one of my favorite experiences. I, I wouldn't change it. I would not change one second of it. I wouldn't change any decision that I made. Mm. Now the world has told me that that was not. Um, a valuable piece of theater, and that's okay. I understand that that is a reality. But for me, as a as something that I carry with me, think uh, uh, an experience where I learned, an experience where I grew, where experience where I got to just be in the room and in the you know in, in the presence of Dolly Parton, who taught me more than you know. So so those kinds of things inform what I'm going to do later on, and 
and that's why I think like to get to get hung up on are you know where are you are you up are you down are you that that to me seems a dead end. Well, yeah, it's also interesting. You know, I was uh, talking to a designer once who said, you know, if you're a set designer. Your batting average has to be like 800. Like you can't be like oh, I got three out of ten. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I don't know what the director batting average is, but there is something that's interesting. You know, you talk about um, it's you know the most common question that that uh, people ask is what are you working on, and mm-hmm. then what are you doing next? Mm-hmm. Like the show hasn't even opened. Yeah, you're like, well, I'm going to concentrate on my second preview, <laughs> and then I'm going to try to get to the third, and that kind of like you know like, like you're dodging it. It's like no, like I, I need to be right here for this yeah. second. But, you know, this idea that, because um, we're the sum of all of these things, right? All of the, you know, it's not, uh, we don't, I don't know how it all, you know, uh, comes through in the particles. I mean, maybe it's two pieces from here and five from there, or what have you. But, you know, this idea, you know, when you're talking about Julie Taymor, that, that what happens now should not be able to diminish what had happened then. That is still that experience. Right. But that, but something has, there's something that exists that makes it feel like something is now less than that was thought of as more. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is really, which is dangerous and slippery. And I think it's dangerous for us to think because especially when you, when you experience success for the first time, um, and you go, and you go, oh, now I understand what this is. And then if, and you're not going to be able to keep that up. The next one might be okay. The next one might be okay. But somewhere along the way, you're going to stumble. And I think the people that I respect and admire most are the people who don't, who, who, who learn from that and figure out how they're going to translate that into the next experience. Not the person who gets sweaty and thinks, I've got to have another hit because there's always a new boy. It's usually a boy. And there's always a new boy coming up. You know, there's usually never a new girl, but there's usually a new boy. And then you want, you do it long enough and you see it happen and you see, and then, but the longevity of it is what's so important to me right now. And do you, I mean, do you think there's a, you know, because when people talk about, um, directors that work and then they talk about you know the eight men that they name and then there's the the couple you know women that that make it into whatever that this room that doesn't exist this virtual room you know there's an attrition that happens and you know people come you know we happen to live in new york you come to new york and you put your suitcase down you say i'm going to try to do this right and then sort of each year there are a few less of you Uh and a lot of it's about attrition yes you know what what is it that you think pulls people away or where does that pressure come you know because you came here saying i'm going to try to make my living as an actor mm-hmm. right and yes so, yes and when did the, when did that shift for you then when was the you were you did this show you did that show you were in angels was right. there a conscious this is i can't do this anymore i don't have it in me it wasn't a, it wasn't a deliberate decision and, and and i i didn't work as an actor all that much before angels that was kind of the that was an aberration in my career um to go from being you know you know, semi-unemployable to being in the, you know, the the, the 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 most prominent play in the last fifty years. I googled it. Apparently, <laughs> it's, 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 apparently, it had more than ten performances. So, um, it was just uh, I don't know what happened. I was I was a member of a, of the circle rep uh, down in the village, and they let me direct there, and had a bunch of failures, and they kept letting me direct, and. And then I just started getting more offers directing, and um, 
it, it, so it wasn't, it wasn't, it, there was not a moment where I, you know, checked out and said, I'm not going to It happened and it, it occurred just, and it was just something yeah, that yeah. was just going in the center. So yeah. were, were a lot of those, you know, do you, did you find yourself, um, with writers that, that spoke to you and, and a lot of the stuff you did was, was new work? Was yeah, new, it was, yeah. Pri- it was primarily new plays. Yeah. Um, maybe coming from circle rep or that's what, what I was, what I was getting offered at the time. And, um, um, I did a was in the company at Naked Angels as well. So there was so I was meeting you know Robbie Bates. That's how I met Robbie Bates. Rich Greenberg was down there. So there were a lot of different people that I that I you know came up with. Right. And then the other sort of major event in my life is that my first Broadway show that I directed was in was a play called What's Wrong with This Picture. Yeah. And it closed by Margulies. Yeah, Donald yeah. Margulies. And it closed um I don't know, two weeks. It, I mean it, it was it, it the poster hangs on the wall at Joe Allen's. So subsequent to that, a few months later I, I directed Love Valor Compassion, which went on to win the Tony Award. So that in first the same, that in, the in the same season. season. And so I was given this incredible gift. I was fortunate enough to have in the same season this enormous flop. It's an embarrassment. And the play that won the Tony Award. And so it gave me a sense of balance right off the bat. Mm. You know, to have those experiences within months of each other. I thought, well, I'm not the worst, but I'm not the best. And let me just sort of find my place in here, find that balance. And I feel like, I feel like my career has had many of those moments, but I felt so prepared for it, you know, in that one thing in a way that if I'd had just had one or the other, right. Or, or if the order was different, if the order was different. Right. Yeah. And I mean, did, were you shaken from that first? I mean, how, what was the, I mean, walking into that first rehearsal for, for the Margulies play versus walking in for this, you know, this other, this other, let's you know. see. Well, I, you know, the, the Margulies play was, was, um, be, was, um, it fell right between the off-Broadway production of Love, Valor and the Broadway production. So I had had this success with it, or we had had the success with it off-Broadway. So I, you know, but, but the, but the, what's wrong with this picture was a very public embarrassment for, you know, many of us, but certainly as a, as a young guy, first shout out on Broadway. And it, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, well, you know, I had a very, um, uh, small scale version of that, you know, where I, I came to New York, I worked at this theater company in New Jersey and I was driving the van and sweeping the stage and writing the program and playing a walk on in gaslight, uh, <laughs> taking a bow. Um, and I started a little theater company in the basement of the drama bookshop and our, we were rehearsing this play that my friend uh, John Mailer wrote and John went to school with me and along with two other friends, we started this little company. And the first day of rehearsal was September 18th, 2001. Uh-huh. So it was a play about high school violence. Um, uh-huh. And we started rehearsal a week after the world got turned upside down. Yeah. And we knew we had to do it. Um, we knew we had nowhere else to go. I mean, that was this feeling I remember, yeah. you know, in that week after, like, well, what do I do? What can, what, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how to participate. I don't know. Again, this, this idea of utility, I think is something that I, I, I find myself thinking about a lot. And, it was a play that had a lot of darkness and, you know, we were, there was, there was light in it as well, but we weren't going and doing like a rip roaring comedy, you know, I mean like, all right, let's entertain the audience. And we, you know, we'd, we'd raised a, a little bit of money to do it. And because 
because of a lot of things, one of them being John Mailer's father was Norman Mailer. Uh-huh. And so anything that would get someone excited to come and review a bunch of you know kids that are 22 and 23 putting on their first play, that's a story. There's a story there. And we didn't fare particularly well in the reviews and got kind of punched in the nose. And I thought, that's it. Like, look what they wrote. Yeah. Look what these people said. And and I remember, you know, we were in, at the Grove Street Playhouse, which is now a beer garden. It's like a 72-seat theater. No attached dressing room, 15. I mean, like, the whole thing. Yeah, like, it's yeah, like, if you're going to yeah. do it, like, we went, uh, we went and we tried. And I remember walking to the theater the next day, you know, because you got to go and do the thing. And, uh, and me being there was important. Yep. You know, I, I feel like we get to tell people when they get jobs, and we have to do the other stuff, too. Yep. And I remember seeing, and this might just exist in my mind, but like just a, a paper stuffed in a trash can. It wasn't the paper of this or the paper of that. And I just thought, remember this is a little bit pre-internet, right? So this wasn't like when everything lives yeah. forever. And I thought, oh, that's where it goes the next day. Yeah. And we got to go and do the show. Yeah. And some people are going to like it and some people won't. But they came, 50 people came tonight, 60 people came the next day. And even if they split down the middle, and I just remember thinking, maybe it's not over. Yeah. But it hurt. I mean, it, but it was, it was right in the nose. And that was... The, the first thing we did, we weren't ready for the New York Times and the New York Post and all these people to review us, but we didn't, but they came. But they came. And yeah. you say yes when you're like, oh my God, we're, you know, we're not in the basement anymore. And you get, you get smacked a little bit and you get off the canvas, right? And you dust yourself off. And that was, you know, that walk to that theater the next day was, uh, was a big one for me because there's always going to be that next walk to the theater, whatever, yeah. whatever the, uh, the occasion may but be. But then you learn, but I think the important lesson to learn is, is that that isn't the determination. That can't be the final determination right. of your experience. And it's hard because it does hurt and it does sting and it is embarrassing and it does cause you to question your abilities. But the thing, if you do it long enough, what you, what you find is, because you think, like, this is it. The, I've been exposed. I, I will never work again. But that's not true. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a good director, you, it will happen. And it will happen in a way that is surprising and unexpected and in a way that in that moment you can never imagine. Right. It won't happen the way you think it's going to happen. Yeah. But it will happen. And... So you might as well try to have the best experience that you can have. It's like have a throw a really successful party because in that moment where it's hard to walk into that theater, you better want to see every one of those people. That's all you have. And our gig is you go see every one of those people. Yes. And that's part of it too. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I find that um, there was certainly a moment, um, you know, a few years ago when I when I started to really understand, this is even pre-Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, populism. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I want to make things that people like. Yeah. I want to I make things that my peers can respect, of course. Um, that's, that's important to me. And I want to make things so people can come and say, oh, I was never invited here. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Let, let me sit here next to someone who sees 50 shows a year, and they'll see what they see, and I'll see what I see. But I didn't know that this was for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, clearly... Lynn and Kiara with Heights gave me a very first-hand experience of how powerful that could be yeah. when you see a kid in a talkback say, oh, that's me. Yeah. I didn't know that my story would ever be there. Yeah. And so when I started to look at the things that I found myself drawn to, they almost all were in some way about that. You know, Who are we in our family? How do we redefine those roles? And giving someone a mic who doesn't always have a microphone. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And, and that was... 
But, but it, you know, it took having been on sort of all sides of it. You know, this idea that you were saying of how you imagine it at the, um, at the opening night of, of Heights on Broadway. This guy I'd never seen before in my life and never saw again. Came up to me and goes, hey, did you see the review? Pretty good. <laughs> and I'm like, that's how I find out? It's not like us arm in arm looking out over the river. It's not like on a rooftop, like entourage. It's like some guy I've never seen. I was like, really? That's... All right, I'm going to go have some more melon, you know. It really kind of puts it in perspective. It really yes, puts it in perspective. It's really, it's, it's, it's really, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's fascinating and you just get thrown around and, you know, are you standing at the end of the day? That's, that's a big thing. Yeah. You know, I've seen so many people just let themselves be run out of town. And there are a number, there's a lot of different ways to handle it. Yeah, you it, know? it, it it's also something, you know, where there is no real preparation for that. I'm someone who, I didn't, I didn't go to school and, and study this, so yeah. there was a lot, I always felt like I was behind, yeah. you know, and so I was like, oh, I should just listen, I should, I should watch, I should go and, and sit in this room and uh, see if I can learn some things. And so when I was sweeping these stages, I would also say, do you mind if I sit here? Uh-huh. And the director would be like, who are you? Yeah, sure, sit, uh-huh. sit over there, don't talk. Um, and I remember that there was something that I realized was so different from room to room to room that to find my own voice, comics talk about this a lot, that it takes 10 years to find your voice. Yeah. You know, because you find yourself being like, oh, now I'm doing my um, Woody Allen thing, right? Yeah, or they yeah. say, and then I had the thing when I was the angry man and I was, you know, I was railing. And, and it's the same thing I, I found in the room, you know, and there's no record of this, right? Because there's no transcript of what I was saying on my first show or my fifth yeah. show or my tenth show. But that voice evolves, you know, and, and giving myself the... Uh, the liberty to say you will get better. Yeah. So go and get better. So go and get and better. Then put yourself in positions where you can get better. Surround yourself with people who do things you can't do. Yeah. You know, uh, have a cabinet that doesn't just say you know yes, prime minister. Yes. And can challenge that. Whenever people say, oh, that person, it's a lot. I was like, oh, what basically that means is that person didn't respect the person who tells me that. Yeah. And they told you the truth. Yeah. And you weren't ready for that. Yeah. And I want to kind of be around that. You know, and I. I think you, you're also someone that you, you work with a lot of the same people, you work with a lot of different people. Yeah. As you're putting your teams together, I mean, is that, that's part of the joy for me, you know, when, as you Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, 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 it's about, uh, you know, I mean, I respect people who have the same team around them. I think there's value, there's definite value in that. And then I just think that sometimes it's, you know, you have to live with the material for a little bit and say like, oh, this person will bring something really fascinating to it. And it's not someone that I hope. You know, I'm also just in a place in my life now where, you know, Terrence McNally took a big chance on me as a young director. Uh, I had barely any credits. And, you know, um, the original director of Love, Valor fell away for whatever reason. And he was meeting a lot of people. And I was certainly probably low man on the totem pole in terms of experience and credits. And he, you know, he chose me. And I think like, and I just occurred to me earlier this year, I thought like, oh, you're at that place now. So when you have projects, why not start to work with young designers? That's how people, you know, that's how, otherwise you don't, they don't have the opportunities. So I've been trying to, in the last few productions, try to work with someone that I haven't worked with or a young person that I haven't worked with just to kind of give back a little bit. Do you remember that? I mean, so you met Terrence in like a... Yeah. I'm interviewing for a job. Yeah, kind of but I think I was still naive enough and still inexperienced enough to that it just seemed fun to me. Like right. I didn't, I didn't understand the stakes. I didn't understand what was at stake right. at all. And so I think that my sort of my guilelessness and my 
um, enthusiasm and naivete at not being intimidated by the play. I think what he said to me later on was because the play had multiple locations and swimming and you know and a house and outside a house and inside that 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 some of the more experienced people were kind of um, um, struggling with that. And I just thought, like, oh well, you know, I was I was coming from a background where we never had any money to do anything, so it was not. And I thought, like, oh, this will this will be fun. We'll just find some sort of playful way to creative way to solve this. But it's not. It's I wasn't intimidated in the least. And, and how do you stay in touch with that when? Because at a certain point, you get to a place where you have means. Yeah. You know, and you say like. And I want her to fly. Yeah. And she needs to fly. You know, it becomes a different kind of thing. How do you... Because I find that the, the directors, especially, you know, I'd never met Sidney Lumet, but I was once at the top of the stairs mm-hmm. when Sidney Lumet... And there was a very narrow staircase. I don't even know how they let me. I was probably like, you know, <laughs> you know, oh, I'm someone's plus one. You know, <laughs> and this was, you know, four or five years ago. And Sidney Lumet sprinted up these stairs. I mean, there were 25 stairs. He was an 80-year-old man. And he looked at me and he said, was I in your way? And I was like, no, 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 Mr. Lumet. (laughs) And I never, you know, that was my interaction with Sidney Lumet. But he was like a 12-year-old kid. And the directors I find and the people I find seem like they're still so in touch with that, that spirit. Who they were when they were 12. Like when you didn't know any better. Yeah. So as you get to a place where you um, have resources at your fingertips, how do you stay plugged into that? Is that... I think you make a... I think you challenge yourself to do things that um, that that terrify you, and that and to work within limitations. The last few years, after having like a, you know a series of you know great experiences on Broadway, I thought, you know what, I've lost something. I've lost something in the way that I work, and I need to go not back to the drawing board, but I need to go back to MCC. M- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. really conscious. That it, was a conscious decision. I felt that. I mean, like I was like, oh, look what's happening, you know. And when I was on Pride, and I mean, so that was something you said. I'm going to go and do this. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I also. Um, uh, I got a I got a letter from this actress Miriam Margulies, who after we worked together in London on Wicked, and she sent me a letter and she said, you know what, you have success now, you have money now, this is your time to challenge yourself and take chances, and because that's what it is, you've been given this opportunity, so take chances on young writers, take chances on. And and I took it. I wrote. Remember writing her and saying, "I'm taking this charge very, very seriously." And it sits on my desk. Mm. And it was the beginning of, you know. And it's not all altruistic. Like I wanted to get better, and I felt like I was losing something. It didn't terrify me that I'd lost something, but I thought I could see something setting in that was calcifying in some way. Because it's you don't have to be as creative. Because if you've got enough money to throw at it, you know. The, the you know the bed will come on or the car will come on but if you have no money and the bed and the car still have to come on and you might not even have money for a bed and a car what are you going to do and so it's been really it's been really um, invigorating in some sense to go back to it and it feels I feel alive in a way as a director that I haven't in many many years and that's not to diminish the the stuff that I've done on Broadway but but it's a different it is a different when did she write this letter when was this I mean it was uh, let's see that's been open it was probably like three four years ago wow I mean yeah and so you know it is interesting you know too I mean 
look, you know, there's probably like five people, you know, you could talk to like, you know, Mr. Prince, you know, with a, with a, you know, you could talk to Mr. Mr. Trevor Nunn, Sir Trevor Nunn, excuse me. <laughs> you know, there's a couple people that have made these shows that just exist in the iconography of the world. Yes. Um, was getting back on the horse sort of the, those first post-Wicked years um, where all of a sudden, you know, there's this, uh, you know, this thing happens, right? And you don't know that it's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? And then this thing happens and continues to happen. You know, you know, what does that feel like? You know, I mean, it's something that I think so few people have sort of been at the place where they're looking out over that. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was that... And how? And who do you talk to about? I mean, how does that get processed? Is that something that? Well, you know, uh, it's a very. It's you know, people always have asked like, did you know that it was going to be turn into this thing? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. Um, but I guess I the way that that I've dealt with it, or the way that we've all dealt with it, is to be incredibly grateful Mm -hmm. and not take it for granted. And so I would say we work harder today on Wicked. Um, Well, I don't, but for a long time I did. And, and, but what we've done is we've kind of instilled this sense of um, gratitude for the audience that continues to come and and that we want the show to be as sharp and as clean and as fresh as it was when it first opened and so nobody's just cashing a check and and I and hopefully that shows and so that's the way in which you kind of show your gratitude for this which is basically like hitting the lottery there's no you 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 can't prepare for you you can't craft that It, it just happens and then it's like okay now what are you going to do now that you've got this buffer to, what are you going to do with your life? Right. And yeah. The, the, when the, when the cameras leave after you bought it with five people you you work with and everyone splits X amount of dough, that's when people stop being interested. That's yeah. what's fascinating to me is not even the next year, but what you're talking about is how you define yourself for the years to come. Oh yeah. I mean, I go in and give the speech every once in a while, and I say to everybody, you know, we sit down and we talk and we say, look, I know what you're doing every night is really, really difficult and burnout will occur. But if burnout occurs, you must remove yourself from this because our standards are not going to lower. And we will find a way to make sure that you, if you can't do the job, that you are asked to leave this job. But we're not going to rest on the fact that, look, you can be crappy every night or you can be tried to, 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 to be outstanding every night. And the same people are going to come and they say they're still going to cheer. And there's a lot of things that are built in. But I'm telling you that the standard is exists, that you will be you are going to be held to that standard. And we are very, 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 very lucky. And anybody who doesn't understand that, you have to leave. Right. Because I do believe in that. I believe yeah. I'm, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's changed my life. It's changed the lives of my collaborators and, you know, and, and it's an amazing thing. And, and how is the, the art of maintaining a show, which is a whole, another thing yeah. that no one talks about. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have it happen, um, you become a custodian in a way, you know, yeah. there's creation and then there's something else takes over. Yeah. Uh, so 
you know, how, how was that for you in dealing with this? This is a, this, uh, has this show run longer than any of your other show? I mean, is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, what uh, I think what it, what what happened was that we had the luxury um, once once it sort of took off. We had the luxury to, um, you know, I I did every company, um, uh, all of the American companies in London, and um, and um, and then I would check in on the other ones. But we we put together a team. Uh, my associate uh, is Lisa Liguio, and mm-hmm. she's you know I mean the best in the business. She's great, and the same with the other departments. Um, but what we had we what, once Broadway opened, we had the luxury to kind of go back. And tweak, and in fact, in London, when we were there for ten weeks, we threw out a number, we started over, and I, I don't want to say I restaged the show because it's essentially the same show, but I got to do all of that kind of detail work that you know when you're when you're in previews on Broadway, that you just you don't have the time to do it, and and then so once we arrived at the final version in London, then we then went back to all of the other companies and put all of these changes in and it took us months and months and months and months and months so finally i think the version that exists is as close to and, and how is that for the companies that have been doing it a different way you know and i mean cuz that's that's it's something that i experienced in a very small way uh-huh. because the you know the tour of heights was a little bit different yeah. you know and and yet you know there one of the things that i kind of uh, when i would talk to the companies and it was a very it was a strange experience. I felt like I was cheating on one company. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm going to my family in New Jersey. Where? <laughs> I'm going to New Jersey. I'm just going to New Jersey. I'm not going anywhere. Um, and there was this really amazing moment when we did the final run through of the tour and they put a sign up sheet for the Broadway company to come. And every single person in the Broadway company, except for someone who had an audition and someone who had a doctor's appointment, came to watch the run through. Oh, wow. And so there was this group of people standing in a circle looking at the person who they were, you know, yeah, yeah. they were taking on some, you know, getting ready to, uh, to sit and watch maybe for the first time and see the show. Yeah. And it was, you know, and it's like watching an inverse of your show because they don't laugh at the things everyone else laughs at. Yeah, they yeah. laugh at the other things that have changed or are different or this person's yeah, take yeah. on it. And I thought it was a very important moment for me because it galvanized something. It's like, Oh, this is so much bigger than me. Yeah. This yeah. isn't a, you know, like we're, we're spreading, you know, we're spreading this thing around. And this group does it in New York, and this group's going to do it in Rochester and Chicago and Boston and all these other places. But, you know, there's also that part that I, I tried to not say, well, on Broadway we do this. Mm-hmm. Because then it becomes like, this is right. And the reality is they're related, but they're not twins. You know, but I don't know that everybody does that. I, from from what well, I've heard about some other shows, that I think I think there is a, there's a template that exists and hold three and turn and go and say the line that way. And to me, I don't understand. I mean, yeah. this just not uh, with Wicked. I still go out, and you know, great actors will reveal things to you that you don't necessarily see. So I have no problem stealing or letting that inspire me and bringing that back to another company. And, and you know, it's an organic living thing. Is there? Any, I mean, when someone's been doing something a certain way in one company, and then you introduce this was this was a, this was a new idea that we had that we had a chance to evolve. Is putting that in is that difficult? Do you find people were hungry for that, or just person to person? I think it was person to yeah. person. I think I think what they what what you know the, the the most of them respect the fact that we care. You know, they may grumble every time we get off an airplane and say we're having rehearsal. But I think if you really said to them, "How do you feel about it?" The fact that we care enough to show up, 
rehearse them and try to you know instill a sense of immediacy and freshness to it that uh, I think they ultimately appreciate that as opposed to you know I mean who wants to go out there and do a stale show I love I mean it's been great we beg George to come back so when he comes back and gives us notes it's incredible you have something to do you know that night you have something really um, immediate to work on right yeah and and so much of uh, you know of our job you know when we when we do go back uh, is you know, it's a, it's a different thing for however many people are there. When, when I, when I uh, did this play about Vince Lombardi, who was sort of this other part of my life, like the sports part, like, no, sports is over there, theater's yeah. over here, and I was like, I think they can be together. Uh-huh. Um, you know, one of the things that I admired about him when I read about him and got to know a little bit of him is, you know, he was a coach of a team, and he had to communicate one thing to 45 people, and, 40, and he prided himself on finding 45 ways to communicate that. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, that's that's what it is that I, I didn't know. Yeah. I, you know, he he sort of said it in a way where I thought, you know, he knew who you could grab by the face mask. He knew who you know when you needed a, a hand on a shoulder. You know, he knew who to talk about the kids. He know, and it yep. and he wasn't. Um, it didn't feel manipulative. It felt like he there was a challenge and he wanted to unlock it because he believed so much in this idea of unity. Yeah. And when you have this many different people coming together to make something. It's inherent that there are bumps. You know, yeah. Like, well, I mean, you know, you know actors. Like, you, you've had the experience of it. I mean, actors need different things. Somebody needs somebody needs rhythm. Somebody needs an editor. Somebody needs color. Somebody needs handheld. Somebody need you know. There are people who don't need anything. They want you to come in at the last minute and help shape. So it, it is that thing of how do you navigate? You're in the room. You're the leader, and yet they all need very very different things, and there has to be a common goal. Right. You need 13 rehearsals. That's what you need. Because <laughs> 12, just not enough. It's just not enough. You needed an extra rehearsal. I saw the work. I thought you needed another rehearsal. Let it cook a little bit, Joe. Um, you know, you talked about some of the people that you came up with, um, Robbie Bates and, and yeah. Greenberg, and people that you worked with and continue to work mm-hmm. with. You know, at, as, as after you got this letter, you know, and you've continued to sort of uh, reexamine and reevaluate yeah. in, in this new way or be, begun to do it in that way, do you find because you know you know I'm sure you're walking down the street and people just throw things at you but the the stuff that that you find or that finds its way to you is that still part of the hustle you know I mean I think one of the big questions that I certainly encounter a lot and and then have too is that hustle stays there I like the hustle mm-hmm. I like the fact that we have to go out and define who we are every day yeah because it's not me sitting in front of a computer and writing something. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I, you know, I can try as I might. I don't think that's me. So how do you, I mean, clearly here we are in a, a dressing room of a, of, a, of a play. So you've found a, another way to, 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 talk, <laughs> to redefine and, and continue to define. But how do you, you know, when you, you know, how do you make that? How do you keep that hustle going and that grind? And do you still look forward to that? I do, I guess. I, I, you know, I think I'm entering just a phase in my life for whatever reason now that I feel like... Uh, that it's about the you know the hit by the bus. That, like I only want to be working on something that if I leave rehearsal and I'm hit by a bus, that that's the la- that I think like thank God I was working on that. And mm-hmm. you know, and I think P- one of the things that you that I think is really important is that if you know, you know, there's a number of reasons to do a, to do a project. You can do it because they're paying you a lot of money. You can do it because there's an actor that you've been dying with. But know why you're doing it. That will save you some heartache because at least there is a goal. It's where I've been most unhappy is where I didn't know why I was doing it. 
And so that I was looking for, you know, the daily papers to tell me whether I had achieved what I wanted to achieve. You know, there have certainly been jobs that I've taken where I thought, this is my chance to um, make, a, you know, some money. Or this is the ch- I have I wanted to work with Laurie Metcalf for as long as I can. So I want to do this, but but I I'm now very specific about why I do something. And if there's if if it's just a play that's really really good, but I don't know what I won't do it. So I don't know. The, I guess the answer to your question is is to be determined because I feel like I'm entering a different phase now. Um, in that I really, I also feel a, a, a sense of responsibility with a play. I don't know if you feel this, that, that when I read a play, there have been plays that I've read which I've absolutely loved, but that thing didn't go off in me that was like, you are the director for this. And so it's hard to articulate that to the writer to say, like, your play is fantastic. And I can give you a list of plays that I've said this about that have gone on to be very successful that I, they just weren't right for me. I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a understanding that is a it was a was a was a was a big step for me, and uh, but now I think I'm just I want to only do things that I have to you know ha- really have to do. Yeah, I know I you you know you you say it very eloquently. You know, there's a there's something that I uh, don't possess, um, perhaps, but I can't make myself love something, uh-huh. and so. I can admire and I can appreciate, and if it doesn't say you, um, and Tommy, this is like you know that feeling you have in your gut, and you go to sleep and you wake up and it's still there. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Um, and and if not, I, I don't know how to manufacture that. And uh, it's not fair. It, you should and it's not manufacture fair to it. And no. It's not fair to anybody. And you know, and I've had it. And I guess what what has happened as I've um, you know uh, been able to trust that instinct more yeah. is to realize that. That is what's gotten me um, through a lot of situations, listening to that gut. You know, this sort of, again, this undefinable thing. And sometimes it sounds, you know, it doesn't look right in an email. And it doesn't even s- sound right when you say it to somebody, whether you're looking in the eye or you're on the phone. But I hope that what, what people understand, you know, what I think you, you said very well is, you, this deserves something. And I want you to go and find that. Um, and I'll watch it, and I'll appreciate it, I'll admire, but I don't know that I'm the person to go and get it, and I, I can't make myself feel these things. Yeah, and it, it isn't about, it, it, it has nothing to, most times it has nothing to do with the quality of the thing. Yeah. It's, it's a sensibility, it's, um, it's, 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 it's just, you know, do you want to wake up every morning and think about that and only that, because that's what it takes. And the times in my, you know, and it, for me it was trial and error, there are times where I, where I did things were because I thought I should or because I liked enough of the writing but not, re- you know, or didn't. Re- and every time I did it, it just was not, it was, it was, it was, it ended badly. Yeah. And it's something that reminds you when, when you do find that right thing, you know, for that, that moment in your life, mm-hmm. uh, A, how rare it is and, and how important it is to, to be conscious in those moments. You know, I was, uh, I think that you know you can try to contextualize uh, a lot of things, but when you're trying to put a show together, like you're trying to run a good rehearsal and get ready for the next day, and it, for me, it's very you know like one step at a time, while also then flying out and being thirty thousand feet and thinking yeah. about stuff a month from now. Yeah. Um, and 
hoping that Andy Blankenbuehler has a good idea because he's always right about the size of scenery. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you're right. It's definitely not going to fit. What is he talking about? Um, but I think that, you know, there, there is something uh, about being in that room and knowing that, if you know, these, it's so rare to actually get in the room. And someone once asked me, like, what does it mean to produce? And I realized when I had my little theater company, I was like, oh, I guess I produce. But it's just me trying desperately to get back into rehearsal. Uh-huh. It's like, so I'll set up the chairs one day, I'll write a press release, I'll sell tickets, but I really just want to be in the room. Uh-huh. Like, I just want to be in that room. And Do you I, still have your theater company? We don't. It's so, I kind of say it's like it's a, like a sleeping computer. Like, uh-huh. if you want everyone like that, I guess it's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the bank account still exists. Uh-huh. But, you know, we, we did a, our last play there in, like, 2006. And we raised a lot of money to do this little off-Broadway play, and it got published, and we lost every one of those dollars. And at a certain point, you know, like, that was exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted this play to be in the world. Um, And then uh, we all sort of went to different places. Uh, We're very much in each other's life. There were four of us. Um, And it's been sort of amazing that we still are, because we just had, like, our sort of unofficial 10-year anniversary Uh of people that I spent, you know, lots of hours with. I mean, it's like when you were at Circle Rep or the Naked Angels. Yeah. I, I wasn't invited into a lot of places. I didn't know anybody. So I thought, why don't we just make our own place yeah. to come and hang out? And so, you know, that's really why, you know, that's why we painted those walls black. Because we made it into a little black box yeah. and we set up some chairs, maybe people would come and hang out. Yeah. I mean, it was that simple. Yeah. Like we wanted people, I, I wanted to make a place where people could go. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, uh, you know, it was actually kind of a, a really neat year this year because the Drama Bookshop won a Tony Award, yeah. being recognized for their contribution. And I always thought we were like this little bird on the hippopotamus. Like, I, I knew it was symbiotic, but I didn't know what we were giving them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but in getting to spend those, you know, those four or five years down in that basement, I realized, you know, they gave us this instant legitimacy and credibility. Like, at the Drama Bookshop, like, everyone went there. Yeah. And if you went downstairs, there were people doing, like, sort of mediocre theater. Um, me and my friends. <laughs> and then... But what I realized, what we contributed was a, like, was a bustle. Yeah. You know, there was always something happening. You know, hey, stage this, because uh, when, when Take Me Out got published, they asked me to do a couple scenes from it. Uh-huh. Um, and they did a conversation with, with Richard Greenberg, who I'd never met. And he, like, came to them, and he, like, nodded, like, it was okay. And, mm-hmm. and actually, this is like, all your course, now that I think about it, uh, Donald Margulies, they published a thing called Luna Park. And there's a play of his called Found a Peanut. Some of his, you know, yeah, yeah, like some yeah. of these like smaller ones. And we did a couple of them. And I remember being very nervous because the writer was going to see these little scenes that I had directed of these things that were precious to them, like these yeah. early plays. And, you know, those first looks and that, that encouragement and that acknowledgement from people gave us everything. And I realized that it allowed me to bump into the people that weren't just like names on the shelf. Yeah. I mean, I was working in this you know, theater company in the shop where I walk by and every, if you're not inspired doing that, like get out of the game. Wow. You know, so that's amazing. You that's know, amazing. it was a, it was a very seminal time for me and, and to see them recognized in that way. Uh, you know, there was something very meaningful we had nothing to do with it, but the fact that in the Heights started down there, you know, the fact that some of these things that we threw up against the wall stuck and kind of made it out into the world you know, it simply would not have happened if we didn't have that place. Yeah. So. Wow. That's it. I think that's it. I mean, you know, it's, I, I've always said that I would not be a director today without circle rep, without that place, without a home, because they really, you know, it, it, it I had the luxury of failing and knowing that I would be given a, you know, a slot, right? That it wasn't you know, so much of this business I think is about 
how you're only as good as your last thing or your you know um, and that wasn't the case when I was starting out and I don't I mean I just would have I wouldn't have I wouldn't be here today without them right they, they just uh, that their kind of support was everything to me well, I say thanks, Circle Rep. I say yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah. I will let you lie on the ground and prepare and do all of your, your opening of diaphragms. There he is. He's ready to go on. Thank you for taking it. Yeah, yeah. It was really great. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. This Masters of the Stage program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.